Hey, this is Dan Savage from the Orlando Magic, and you're listening to the Penny for Your Thoughts podcast from the guys at Orlando Magic UK. Now it's over to Garrett, Mikey, and Paul. Go Magic! What's up, Magic fans, and welcome back to another episode of Penny for Your Thoughts, the Orlando Magic UK podcast. My name's Mikey, as usual, joined by Paul and Geraint. Evening, boys. How are we? All good, Very my well, thank you, mate. Yeah. I knew you were good. I, I wanted to do that on purpose, just to see if you were going to jump in at the same time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but you knew, yeah. you knew we would win. Yeah. G, are you... <laughs> he um, win with his mouth open first. Yeah. G, are you over uh, Wales's disappointing performance? Yeah, it wasn't the best weekend, to be honest with you. Um, Wales not winning, and then the Tampa Bay Lightning not winning. So uh, we got a chance to put it right tonight for the Lightning and tomorrow for Wales. So uh, let's hope they do that. You know it's coming home, G, don't you? So It's not. It's <laughs> bloody not. <laughs> Anyway, moving on, moving on from the football. Um, We are delighted this week to be joined by uh, Jake Fisher, um, who previously worked for Slam Magazine and Sports Illustrated and currently uh, writes for the NBA and covers the NBA for Bleacher Report. Uh, Jake, thanks for reaching out to us and and jumping on the podcast with us. Got it, man. Thank you guys for, for having me. I'm excited to be here. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, before we start, um, Jake was actually recently on a another Magic podcast, The Sixth Man Show, with um, our friends Jonathan and Luke, um, and you were talking about your new book that you just uh, released, um, an author of, Built, Built to Lose, uh, which was all based on the tanking era and how all that sort of started a new trend in the NBA. Um, so... If you haven't listened to that episode already, go and give that a listen because there's some great stuff on there. And we're going to cover some of that tonight anyway. Um, but yeah, great episode, that one. Um, so before we jump in, uh, Jake, for those who don't know you, um, I'm going to change it up a little bit here. Um, how did you start writing and covering the NBA? Because I know listening to The Sixth Man Show, you started at a really young age. Um, and can you give us a bit of insight into your journey so far? Yeah, thank you. Um, you know, I, I was saying it a bit off air. I mean, the, or Orlando in the Amway Center played a big factor in my career. I, I was lucky to be at a great high school newspaper in New Jersey. Um, I blogged a little bit for the Huffington Post, but when I got to college, I ended up you know, through actually through the Huffington Post blogging, I landed an internship at Slam Magazine. And that summer of 2013, when I was interning at Slam, they kind of just put you in the back corner of the office and say, like, make this what you will. And I was a 19 year old intern, like getting and chopping at the bit and like wanting to do this for a living. So, um, you know, I, I used airline miles that my family had saved up and flew down to Orlando for summer league and like started meeting executives and players and coaches in Orlando. So Orlando definitely has a soft spot for my, uh, the start of my career. And, and you know, I started at the time, that was right when Sam Hinkie took over the Philadelphia 76ers, and I was from Philly um, originally and, and was a Sixers fan back then. I'm not a fan of teams anymore, as we talked about also off air. Just kind of <laughs> but I am, I am rooting for them to win the title. It would be pretty good for my book. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, that's a great take. Love that. I was covering the Sixers to start. 
And if you guys recall, Hinky wasn't um, announcing the pre-draft workouts. It's something a lot of teams do, but he wanted to hold, you know, all his information in secret. So what, what I, how I got, a, how I got my start. I always wanted to be a reporter. I didn't want to be an analyst or a guy on first take. I wanted to be somebody who told stories and got to talk to people. So I just started reaching out to players and agents who were working out in those workouts. And if I knew one person was there, I'd call that person. Like that's how I first got TJ McConnell on the phone in the draft in 2015, I believe. And, um, you know, they'd say, oh, yeah, all these other three guys, these other six guys worked out with me too, and I'd report that workout. And that's kind of how I got my start. So um, from there, you know, the more access I got, I got to Sports Illustrated and was there for four years. And I think I kind of made a niche of, of reporting new info and finding, you know, funny details, you know, important details, um, human interest details, and I've kind of summed that all up in my first book that came out in May. And a lot of it covers, I mean, it, it covers the tanking era, pretty much what I've called it from. And I think it starts with Rob Hennigan trading Dwight Howard that same summer that, you know, Phoenix moves on from Steve Nash and all the, all the teams linked in that Dwight Howard trade end up, you know, following suit pretty much. And Boston trades AG and Paul Pierce and Hinky moves on from Drew Holiday and all these teams were gearing up for that 2014 draft as Magic fans definitely remember. So I wanted to to highlight this unique period in time where a lot of teams in the league were trying to be bad and not trying to win the title, but for the sake of winning the title in the future. How, how difficult has it been reporting this season with the pandemic and everything? Yeah. I mean, typically, <laughs> so I gave it away. <laughs> I mean, tip, I live in New York for one, for one, for many reasons, but the number one reason for my work purposes is that there's two teams here, right? With Brooklyn and, and, and New York. So on average, there's like three and a half teams that come in every week and I get to go to shoot around in the morning and the games and see people courtside and in the locker room pre and post. And I haven't been able to do that, you know, you know, well over a year. It's been nice to adapt at Bleacher Report now, I do, I'm do. i doing mostly rumors type stuff, which you know people in the league like to get on the phone and shoot the shit about other teams and talk about people behind their back kind of, which in, in a fair, fun way, you know, like I don't know why this team isn't trading for this guy, blah, 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 blah. And that's been, I think I've been able to further some relationships this year actually by, you know, checking in and calling people and having a kind of routine of like, I'm just going to call now because I got no other option to. So it's been nice. And I think it's, um, it's been a good adaptation, but yeah, I would love to get back into an arena and see and go in the locker room and talk. I haven't been able to talk to players and, and that's been, that's been a big bummer. Yeah. Yeah. I can understand that. Um, so before we jump in and throw some more questions at you, we're going to recap some of like the, the latest news this week covering the magic. Um, so starting with on Sunday, um, Shams Terrania of The Athletic announced that the Orlando Magic are going to interview Becky Hammond for the head coaching role. Um, and then yesterday, uh, I think it was Melissa Rowland of Fox Sports announced that former Bucks and Nets head coach and 10-time All-Star Jason Kidd is also going to interview for the job. Um, what's what's everyone's thoughts on, starting with, with Becky Hammond first, um, I'll go to Paul. What, what do you think about her potentially being a Magic head coach? Okay. Um, I'm, I've got to be honest, I'm all in on that. I'm quite happy. Um, I think anybody that comes from the school of pop is going to have a good pedigree. 
She took over during uh, Pop's absence this season and did a good job. Um, the other thing, and I, this this is ridiculous in some respects, why it would be a good move for us, but to actually have the first female coach in the NBA would actually deliver us some media attention that the Magic uh, are so lacking. It would make us a far more interesting and relevant story within the NBA, which makes it a better location for us for players. So yeah, I'm I'm really happy with that. Regardless of the potential media benefit, she is a good coach. She will do. She will be um, capable of delivering what we need, and particularly with the the group of young players that we've got. I think with especially with a good support network in place. I think it'd be a, a very interesting move. Yeah, yeah. Well, I brought her name up on our podcast last week as somebody I wanted to see. Um, for, yeah. like, for the reasons Paul Paul mentioned, what do you think, Jake? To to Becky Hammond, it's an interesting point about the media attention. I, I hadn't thought about that angle, so um, you know, I, I think that's that makes I mean, that makes sense to say that. I, I will say, I, I'm doubtful she really does get an opportunity here. I think, okay. yeah, I agree. I think the front office, from everything I've heard, I don't have this 100 percent confirmed, but I'll say I've heard that um, that the Pete D'Alessandro, Jeff Weltman, John Hammond group got a two-year contract extension after the trade deadline. Um, and, you know, when you sell this rebuild um, to ownership and trade Vooch and Evan Fournier and Aaron Gordon away, you know, it's with the mindset of at least this particular situation, it was with the mindset of, you know, we'll get a top five pick this year. We'll add that person to Markel Fulton, Jonathan Isaac, and we'll be back in the playoffs pretty soon. And I don't know if hiring the first female head coach in NBA history is something that a coach that at a front office that not right now, but in theory is kind of operating to for their jobs. I don't know if that's a risk they're willing to take. Not saying that Becky isn't the same level of qualified candidate as these other coaches are, but that obviously to your point about the media being a benefit that puts a bigger spotlight on you if you do fail. And if she does not yep. work, then that's a pretty easy way for an executive to sign his resignation letter or his termination letter, you know? So I, I think for Becky to get her first opportunity, it's probably going to be in a situation like when Rob Hennigan hired Jacques Vaughn, when it's a, a, a new front office coming in and starting from the ground up versus a front office kind of pivoting and trying to extend their shelf life here, honestly. Yeah. I, I ultimately, I still think that we're more likely to have somebody that our front office does have some form of connection to from from yeah. past experience. Mm -hmm. But uh, I, I do think she'd be a very, very interesting uh, acquisition for the team. Yeah. yeah. Garrett, what's your thoughts on uh, Jason Kidd? Um, well, I'm not the biggest Jason Kidd fan. Uh, you know, he's an exceptional player. Um, he's had his opportunities in Milwaukee, in Brooklyn, and he's, you know, coached some very, very good players, uh, but he's never been able to take them, you know, to the next level. Um, as a de developmental coach, I don't know if he's the right person. Um, we said last week, um, the person I want is David Vanterpool, um, the assistant at Minnesota. I'm a bit disappointed I haven't seen his um, 
name come up to say he's interviewed. Uh, so the fact, you know, we've just got um, Kid and uh, Becky Hammond. Out of those two, I'd probably prefer Becky. Um, not to say that Jason Kidd is a bad coach. Um, seen some, you know, good stories about him. Uh, but I but don't some bad think ones he's... As well. <laughs> no, I know that. I know that. I didn't want to touch upon that. But um, I don't think he's the right coach for this time. But I do understand that, you know, the front office got a relationship with him. Uh, he's probably trusted. And um, yeah, we'll see. But not my coach until, you know... Mm. Yeah. Jake, yeah. Jake, what do you think to Jason Kidd? And also, following on from that, what sort of coach do you think the Magic are going to go for? Because personally, I I think whoever they hire, we might not even see be released in media, which is quite a common thing with uh, Weltman and Hammond. They don't let a lot slide, do they? They don't let a lot into the national media. Yeah, I mean, they're very quiet. Whenever you, whenever you reach out to anybody with the Magic for something about the Magic, they'll typically say, you know, go ask Jeff, um, which I think is interesting. Um, you know, I, I do think I'd started hearing like two weeks before that the, the news got announced that Steve Clifford was about to part ways um, that, you know, they were getting a year left on his contract. And I wrote this for Bleach Report yesterday um, that, you know, he, he's not going to get brought back next season if he's not in for a rebuild. Right. So I think, that it's pretty much cut and dry. I mean, I think Cliff still thinks he's got a shot at the Indiana job, honestly, um, from everything I've heard. I, I think that because of that, they're definitely looking more player development centered and someone who's probably maybe not younger, but someone who can relate to a younger group of guys well and, and skill develop. I mean, Kenny Atkinson names popped up for that reason. Yeah. Um, I think there's other, this could be an opportunity for a first time assistant like Darvin Ham or Charles Lee. Um, but the kid stuff, and I will say he's, he's, his name has popped up a lot more and more the last week or so. And I think the relationship with, um, Hammond is obviously, um, you know, very t- talked about and, and obvious, but also you know, one thing to keep in mind, he won a title with the Lakers, right? And everyone on the league talks about how those Lakers players love him. And I think yeah. that that's a shine that, you know, wasn't there previously and maybe people need to start on the outside of the league and to start recognizing that's why he's being brought up in these coaching conversations. It's the same thing with players. Like when you, when you're part of the playoff team and you do well, you get paid that off season, right? It's kind of the same thing with coaches. When you win a title, people want a brain drain. And I think that's why he's now a candidate and maybe he has an opportunity to showcase that he's evolved from his past 10 years with Brooklyn and Milwaukee. Yeah. Yeah. Jake, on that, interesting um, point. on that note, you mentioned Steve Clifford's looking for the Indiana job. Is there no interest there with a Boston job, him being from Massachusetts, etc.? This kind of a question to help our Celtics friends uh, in the UK. Um, I think he'd love the Boston job, but I think word's gone around the league that they're looking to hire someone who's black and some, and, and then also probably prefer someone who played in the league too. And someone who you know, that's important to the players. And I think also obviously when Minnesota made the quick change with Chris Finch, there was a lot of real outrage that came out publicly, like how this was another opportunity for a top job, either head coach or GM that didn't have an interview process, let alone interview a couple of black candidates Boston did the same thing with Brad Stevens, right? Danny Ainge resigns and they just elevate this guy to president without interviewing anybody. 
So I think they, they got a little bit of criticism for that inside the league, even though that didn't come out so much publicly. I think that's played a factor with Danny Ainge's comments too, that I think they really want to hire someone who can improve the diversity of their culture and their organization. Just one more point on Steve Clifford. It'd be interesting to see if he does take a job this year because I was listening to uh, Philip on Locked on Magic earlier in the week and apparently Steve Clifford, if he takes another job, a head coaching job this season, won't get paid this year's salary by the Magic. So, I mean, he'll be walking into another good job. So yeah. he's still earning the money, but it'd be interesting whether he takes a year off and then jumps back into coaching. So... I think he can be an assistant somewhere. I do, but I th- I think he definitely thinks he's got a shot at. I mean, there's other there's other situations still at play, right? There's all these rumors that Milwaukee might move on from right. Mike Budenholzer if they don't make the finals. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Nate McMillan still doesn't have a contract extension in Atlanta, um, so who knows where there could be more openings where Cliff could could finagle his way in. You know, he's a savvy veteran, just like uh, just like a player out there. So. And then the last rumour this week, well, it wasn't really a rumour. Um, I mean, it started with Penny Hardaway a few weeks ago, but Jalen Rose uh, apparently said this week that if you're Orlando, you need to give Penny Hardaway that job immediately. Um, what, what's everyone's thoughts on on that? I'll start with G because uh, you're a big Penny guy. Yeah, no, I do love, love Penny. Uh, it's very romantic, isn't it? As we stated, we talked about this a little bit last week. Um but rumours are, you know, if if a lot of teams want to interview him, they think he, he can step up to be an NBA-level coach. Uh, he's brought on, you know, some good players like uh, Wiseman for Golden State. Um, it's done very well at Memphis. Um, but it's just the, the worry that if the Magic struggle and then the fans get on his back, he shouldn't because he's Penny Hardaway, um, <laughs> then it just... That it illusion of him being that legend just, just almost shattered a little bit so mm. I'm still of the belief we should bring in uh, another coach um, but I, I would hate for him to get another head coaching job elsewhere so it's one of these uh, you can't win situations so by all means interview him would he be an assistant coach who knows um, so I, I don't know yeah. it's, it's a very difficult one very yeah. difficult one before I ask you Jake um, what have you done to your wrist? Because <laughs> we've got somebody else here that's accident prone as well. So uh... <laughs> this, is from, this is from writing my book. I developed. Oh, really? I wear this when I type when I'm on my computer now. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Paul, wow. you've, got, you've got to step your game up, mate. You haven't got any cards. Mate, that's anything that, to add yeah, I'm going to say. I've, 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 I've actually I'm managed. Out of my desk. It's a nice little. I'll give that little. For your audience, but uh, <laughs> it's like you know when, when you got to play and lace them up, and you're and you got an injury, you got to play through the pain. That's what I'm doing here, man, every day. Absolutely, good stuff. Good stuff. Stuffing this out, we like it. We like it. <laughs> um, and the last little bit of news this week was uh, the NBA announced that next season they're going to return to a normal calendar season from October to June. Um, so we're going to see training camps start around the 28th of September. Regular season's going to start on the 19th of October. The playoffs, hopefully the Magic will be in them next season, on the 16th of April. Uh, the finals will start around the 2nd of June. And then the draft next year is going to be the 23rd of June. So um, that's that. There we go. <laughs> nice, Guys, to be back to, nice to be back to normal. Absolutely. That's yeah. It. 
that's been a big goal of the league. They want to have their dates. They want to have Christmas and whatever and MLK Day and yeah, everyone back to normal for sure. Uh, Jake, I jumped the gun. Um, I forgot to ask you about Penny Hardaway. What you thought about uh, Penny becoming yeah, a, a potential magic head coach? Um, what's your thoughts? I thought that was really interesting. What you said about uh, you know not wanting to tarnish his legacy. I will say the same reason that you know Boston's looking for a former player. Um, you know, right now. It was it was a big issue with Nate Bjorken in Indiana. Teams are really looking for coaches that can relate to stars, and that's what Penny's mm-hmm. done really successfully. In Memphis, he's recruited these high level prospects, right? And they all love the guy, and he he does have that you know allure that we were kind of talking about that you don't yeah. want to if he doesn't fail, which is why I think maybe you know a Markel Fultz, a Jonathan Isaac, if you get Cade Cunningham, like why he's on the radar of teams is maybe he can keep those guys ears and keep them locked in and relating to them. I, I, it'd be curious to me though, again, like giving him, him, giving him a shot at that, at the NBA level for the first time, again, like with the Becky Hammond conversation. I also would be a little surprised if he wanted to leave that job. He's a legend in Memphis right now. Like he just gets to do what he wants and walk around that campus like a God. And I don't know if he wants to necessarily leave that right now. Again, I don't know. I'm not speaking for Penny, but that's just my educated guess. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I've got to ask you, because I'm, I'm fascinated at the period that you've picked for your book. Mm-hmm. Um, so what what do you feel that's made it so important and influential to the modern NBA? I think – Tanking was a side effect of all these analytical-minded executives like Rob Hennigan, like Sam Hinkie, like Ryan McDonough, and Pete D'Alessandro. Before he got to the Magic, he was with Sacramento back then. He got hired right in the same time period. You can see David Griffin get elevated in, in Cleveland. Like a, a side effect of all these analytical guys was, you know, now we've talked about team building and roster construction overall. It's more of a mainstream conversation and something that you know we can talk about casually and you meet someone at the bar and you can talk about, oh, well, we don't have any first-round picks in 2023. Like, that's that in one aspect has changed the league, you know, irreparably. I think now fans, casuals, if you will, are, are so much more smarter about how this roster construction is and, and, and yeah. it's, it's put more pressure on the guys in the game to actually do better because owners are reading the blogs and social media too. But tanking specifically, I think came about as well because all those guys were coming to power right as the Miami heat were running the league too. And the Miami heat were, cons- were comprised of LeBron Wade and Bosch who everyone remembers they were, three top five picks in that 2003 class. And coincidentally, that 2014 class was considered to be the best class since 2003. So it just kind of overlapped with timing and context where, you know, these guys wanted to get stars to compete for the title. That's obviously what they needed to do to get past San Antonio with Duncan and Parker and Malinu. The Thunder challenged Miami in 2012 and how the Thunder get there by tanking and getting these stars through the draft. And I think, tanking as well, you know, teams like Philly being bad for two and a half, three years intentionally just to get a guy like Joel Embiid or, you know, Thunder doing that to get James Harden. Like, I think that 
concept has played a big factor in empowering these players too and making them realize we are this valuable. We're, you're, we're worth two years of playing like crap just for the sheer chance at a lottery ball of even getting the chance to take me, let alone actually taking me. So I think that's a long rambling answer, but I think all that really played in a factor into creating this crazy, hectic, news-spinning league that we see today. I was going to ask, because just as a follow-up, I was going to ask you if you t- if you did feel that there was anybody that tanking had really worked for. I think Philly's an obvious answer, right? But mm-hmm. I think um, you know uh, a lesser. I mean, and they didn't do it as directly, but Phoenix a hundred percent tanked the same time period as Philly. Obviously, they took DeAndre eight and number one, and you know credit to the Suns for for picking him. Sure, he's not Luca, but he looks like a damn good starting center for the next 10, 15 years in Phoenix. Yeah. And they got Devin Booker out of this great te- detail in the book that Booker refused to work out for Utah at number 12, the pick before in 2015. Yeah, it's like a big, yeah, it's a big reason why he was even available. But give the credit to the Jet for the Suns for taking Booker at 13 and developing him into a you know, what he is today. And, 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 you know, a big thought of tanking and getting these guys through the draft is like Miami brought, had Wade and then Wade brought Wade and Bosch with him. You got to draft the star to bring stars to join you. And Phoenix was a little more wayward and a little more chaotic, but they get Devin Booker and DeAndre Ayton and draft Mikhail Bridges. And sure enough, Chris Paul wants to join that young group. So I think the Suns are another really great example of how playing this draft patiently can, um, you know, can really have real big dividends down down in the future. Yeah, that's brilliant. Thanks, mate. That's really interesting. Yeah. Thank you. So, so, so we're talking about tanking. So, the Magic have obviously been tanking the last yes. several months of the season, and we've got one of the best odds. Well, we've got joint odds for for the top pick and top four pick this this coming week, a week and a week or so away. Um, yeah. What do you think about the path the Magic have taken? And what we've already got on the roster, because I think that's an important part, not just who we could potentially pick on the 29th of June. Sure. I mean, the Magic are an example of how to not tank well, right? Like they're tanking right now, rebuilding basically from Rob Hennigan's rebuild. And I think a big issue that the Magic had back then, I mean, I talked to people with the franchise, um, people that were under Rob Hennigan and players and coaches and you know, there was kind of a hubris that Hennigan and his staff kind of brought, being that they came from that OKC group that drafted KD, Russ, and Harden three straight years, and they were in the final three years after they took Harden. And I think the Magic really thought they were going to replicate that super quickly and just take Oladipo and a bunch of other young, long athletes and put them all in a gym, and they were going to make each other better, and they were going to be there. And I think what that group really failed at recognizing was – KD, Russ, and Harden were, were three uniquely hardwired guys where they all are, you know, top dogs, right? And the guys who are the head of class, like, they carry themselves. Like, they don't really care who else is next to them. Like, they want to beat that guy, and they can even use those guys to to get the best out of each other, right? That was the, the whole the whole allegory back then of, oh, KD and Russ and Harden had these amazing practices, and the magic under heading in didn't really do that. Like they took Victor Oladipo in 2013, tried him out as a point guard that rookie year, if everyone remembers that. And then the next year they draft Alfred Payton, who can't shoot. And Victor Oladipo's shooting stroke was also one of his biggest concerns. And they also traded for Tobias Harris and then draft Aaron Gordon. And obviously tweeners have you know had a different situation here of late. But 
when you have two young guys who don't know what position they are, it doesn't help when they don't know what position they are playing next to the other guy on the wing who doesn't know what position he is either. And Channing Fry gave me this great analogy when, I mean, he left Phoenix, that fun 13-14 Phoenix team that almost made the playoffs. He left that Suns team in agency thinking that the Magic had a better roster than that Suns team. But he said that all those young players together, they were kind of like rats on a ladder. To me, that's like such a perfect example. Everyone can picture that. They're all kind of squirming on top of each other. So I think moving forward, like the lessons from that are you kind of have your pillars and faults and J.I. Honestly, who knows if Isaac is a true five, but he can play that. He's like your defensive heart. And you've got other pieces in place here with R.J. Hampton and you know Cole Anthony, someone that they, I think, really like. I, I think R.J. Hampton really had a shot at being picked when I took Cole Anthony, so kudos to them for getting both those guys now. And Wendell Carter is still a piece. I think the key is to take someone who – is, is willing to be a part of a group and wanting to grow with that group. And someone who, you know, like Jalen Green is someone I don't think would fit that model very perfectly. I think he's someone who, I don't know the kid personally, but the way he's played, it looks like he thinks he's the man. And if you're drafting this guy to be the man, then that's one thing. But if you're drafting him to be part of your young core of all these other people, then that's a different situation. So I think that's what this current front office needs to really focus on is finding someone that maybe not positionally is complimentary, but someone who mindset wise is ready to come and be part of a young group and grow together versus I'm coming here to be your savior. Yeah. 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 I'm these guys know I really dislike tanking. I really don't understand the, the philosophy of rewarding teams for deliberately losing I really don't understand it um, so do you think there are solutions available to change that landscape further obviously we had the tweaking of the lottery odds do you think there's other solutions available yeah this is another answer to your other question too being that how it was so impactful I think tanking a I mean obviously sparked um, lottery reform. It also played a big factor in, or eliminating taking played a big factor in the calculus behind the playing tournament. I think it will continue to play a factor in trying to introduce a mid-season tournament if we get there too. But I think to your point about not liking tanking, I, I agree that it's, that it's on its face. It's bad for the NBA as a business and bad for the sport. Like you don't want to encourage teams to lose. I think the NBA is at its healthiest when any fan base can go into their arena um, in a post-COVID, pre-COVID world and think, you know, my team's guys are a good shot at winning tonight. And I think that it's smart for teams to play the draft odds and, and tank the way it's currently structured. And I think the only way to eliminate that is to eliminate your, your record having an impact on your draft positioning. So there's, there's many ways you could do that. You could do a tournament type situation where all the non-playoff teams play in the tournament for that number one pick. And that kind of gets to your point on Paul about like trying to put these guys in a winning situation where if all yeah. of a sudden all the, all the lottery teams have to win for the number one pick, like these RJ Hampton and Wendell Carter are playing for the number one pick now, you know, there's like, they're trying to get something. Uh, but then again, I don't know if players are going to really want to, trade or play so hard for the guy who might come in and take their job. So that's yeah. Yeah. That's the argument against it, isn't it? 
Exactly. I think the best scenario is what Mike Zarin, who is now, I think, going to be promoted to general manager in Boston, but longtime assistant general manager. Um, I th- he, he proposed it back then. It was talked about when lottery reform was being discussed. The wheel concept where, where you put all 30 teams in either five or six buckets, you still have a lottery, but your range is predetermined. So on a five or six year cycle, you'll let's say you're in the top five in the first year. So teams one through five, there'll be a lottery. And the next year, one through five, you're, you're in a lottery for 26 through 30. And then year three, you're at six through 10. So it evenly disperses teams' opportunities to draft in different ranges. And that way, you know, it doesn't really matter how you perform. You're picking six through 10 anyway. So that would still impact teams and, okay, we will – you know, this draft in 2021 is really loaded with big men. So maybe we won't sign a big man this summer. We can get him next year. That would impact teams decision-making on an annual basis still and, and trying to target the draft. But you would have to you would have literally zero incentive to lose games. So it, w- it would further incentivize every single team for putting together their best, pro- their best uh, product possible. Yeah. I like that idea. Yeah. Um, I, I believe, you know, you've got to look at the, the teams that have not been successful, the Sacramento Kings, for example. And mm-hmm. I think they should adopt some sort of system like they do the FIFA World Rankings, or no, the Europa uh, Rankings, where you look at, um, just say you looked at a 10-season um, outlook, um, you add up all the wins of the teams that have not made the playoffs that year, and then you do a lottery based upon those. So you probably got Sacramento, you know, looking at the, bat- the first seed, uh, first pick every year um, if they didn't make the playoffs that would then perhaps give them a better chance of um, you know winning the lottery as opposed to some team like Dallas throwing away one season getting Luka Doncic and we're straight back in there um, so, so just an idea there but well, the Kings are an example of how not to tank, being that A, they haven't tanked hard enough they never really got high enough in the draft to get a decision a, a difference maker and they, they staked their franchise around DeMarcus Cousins, who fell to them at number five because of personal, you know, off-the-court type question marks and behavioral question marks. And they reared their ugly head a lot with Sacramento. And then they would bring in – they'd fire their coach and they'd bring in a different executive like Vlade Divac behind Pete D'Alessandro and then Vlade usurps them. Like, that's the kind of stuff that no franchise can, can get around. Like, you need to have – a directional force between your ownership group, management group, yeah. coaches and players. That's one, that's what that is one testament to the magic. I think, you know, the DeVos family's, you know, details aside, I think, you know, they, they pretty typically empowered a front office and Alex Martins, the, the CEO has been there forever. Like it seems like when they're aligned, like they do move in their direction. Sometimes it just doesn't work out, but like, Rob Hennigan was there for a long time. The Stan Van Gundy, Otis Smith group was there for like a pretty good amount of time. Like it seems like the Magic at least are very successful at like establishing what the plan is and who's going to be part of our plan and we'll see how it goes. I mean, the, the, sorry, Jim, before you jump in, the, the Kings are almost a bit like the Magic. They've, they've, they've never, they've not got the right picks in the right years and you've kind of been left with whoever fell to you. Um, yeah. I would say the only difference is we, if you look at like Vucevic, we developed him better than yeah. the Kings have with, with the majority of some of their players. And um, last question from me, um, and it's back in, it's, it's sort of tail tailing off of what you just said. How much do you think the play in tournament 
played a part in terms of less teams tanking this year? Because I think it's something that's that certainly worked. Yeah, I mean the the the, the, the Wizards in, in a different year. Maybe they don't fight for it. You know, um, the Kings obviously kept trying to get back into this Western Conference playing tournament for sure, but. You know, we still saw Orlando and Detroit and Houston and OKC all trade away or wave players and then bench players. Like Terrence Ross is not John Wall or Al Horford or, you know, waving Blake Griffin, but he's a legitimate starter, six-man type guy in this league. And to just have him rest for half the year is like, you know, something... saying he wasn't injured. <laughs> <laughs> it's more bald and brazen that than anything Hinky ever did, right? So I still think tanking's alive and well. This is a top five class. Everyone says it's, it's a top five class. And the Rockets are guaranteed a top five pick. So yeah. even with the lottery, they're still guaranteed to fall no lower than five. So I think tanking is still alive and well. The, the playing tournament, yeah, it definitely has influenced some teams to not do that. Yeah. So you mentioned a little bit earlier, you know, the magic lacked shooting and that was obvious again this year. Are there any draft prospects other than, you know, the, the, the notables, the top three, four uh, that the magic could potentially take, you know, with the eighth, ninth for the Bulls pick or a free agent, perhaps that could assist um, and, you know, was on a kind of a friendly contract. I think they probably need to, I mean, I'm, I'm a Wendell Carter fan, or at least I was, um, so I'm not ready to quit on him yet, but I still think they could benefit from adding more bodies to the front court. I mean, right now they've got RJ Hampton, Mark Helm, and Cole Anthony. It's a pretty crowded, you know, lead ball handler type situation. They could probably benefit from some wings too. Um, so I, I think the front court is probably where I'd be most um, interested in, in adding, you know, Two-way wings are probably pretty uh, the easiest to develop, I'd say, for a rebuilding team. You look at what Chumo Kiki was doing down the stretch. Um, I mean, there, teams are able to take long athletic guys and play them and try to teach them how to shoot. And I think that's something that, um, you know, Jeff Weltman and, and uh, John Hammond have done dating back to Milwaukee, valuing length and um, athleticism, more so over skill. Maybe that'll change a little bit now that the pressure might be on a little bit more, but I think they'll continue to try to find long athletes on the wing and up front to complement this young group of guys that they have uh, handling the ball. Yeah, cool. Thank Can I just you. jump in on that? Um, yeah. Can I just on, jump mate. in on it? How long do you think uh, Bamber has got left to prove himself with the, with, with the team? It's a good question. There, there was a lot of trade talk about him before the deadline and, and if, if it was his time to go. And um, I, I think it, the clock is ticking for sure. I, I think generally on his career at large, like if you asked, if you asked the team right now, what you'd let they trade for Obama, they'd probably say not much. And that's a guy they picked obviously really high and, and had very high expectations for him. And someone that there was even speculation that the manager were trying to trade up to get, I remember, like the the, the Mavericks trading for Luca that we, that we had talked about. You know, that was being discussed pretty significantly. Dallas trying to trade up for three, and there was some Orlando whispers too. Maybe Atlanta was was using those to try to push Dallas to give more. But there was definitely real talk that the Mavericks were trying to trade up for Mobamba. So I, I think 
there's the clock is definitely ticking on him figuring it out as a pro for sure. COVID didn't help. And, um, his asthma and that type of stuff is definitely like a factor, but we'll see if this can be a big off season for him to get, you know, put a little more muscle on and, and really, you know, find his footing in the league. Definitely. And if they draft Cheers, nobly, that could be. Yeah, that's, <laughs> that's, 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 that's the end. With what, with what Jake was saying, that's what made me interested as to, is this, it, how, how close do you feel, do you feel he was to being on that, that timeline of off you go, thanks for coming. Yeah. That's brilliant. Yeah. Thanks, mate. Yeah, I, I think I think you're you're picking up on something pretty legit. I think, yeah, the Mobley thing too, and obviously Ji's ability to play small ball five. I think part part of part of rebuilding is there's a lot of unforeseen variables that pop up, whether it be injury or you know the guy you want getting picked ahead of you, like you mentioned, Mikey. Like everyone knows at this point, the Magic really wanted Kristaps Porzingis both in 2014 and then again in 2015, but the lottery luck. They didn't work out their way. They fall to five, and Chris Ops goes one pick ahead of them. So, you know, Bamba not working out to the way that degree is another unforeseen variable, right? You didn't think he necessarily would not have started. I mean, I was a huge Mo Bamba fan. I thought he was the perfect center, right? He could block – like where Carlisle made kind of like a joke the other day saying, I'd love to great get someone who can shoot threes and is an amazing rim protector. Like, those guys don't grow on trees. So, I was hoping Bamba would do that, but – He's not in right now. That's brilliant. Thanks, mate. Yeah. So, Jake, um, you know, back in the day, good old days, early 2000s, Orlando yeah. was seen as a, as a key uh, free agent uh, market. You know, no state tax. You've got the weather. Uh, we had the cap space. We had a good front office. Not saying that this one's bad or anything. Um, Maybe. But with the current, um, you know, core that we have, potential pick, um, and, you know, LeBron James with his comments a couple of weeks ago saying, you know, I wouldn't go to Orlando. Uh, do you think that Orlando can be a, you know, a destination for free agents in the future, given our assets and players? I think it could be. And I mean, the fact that it already happened, like you mentioned, I think shows that history can repeat itself. One thing that's certainly hampered Orlando as a fair weather market and the state income taxes at Miami is Miami, right? I mean, not to not to pour salt in the wound, but that just is what it is. It's, it's true. It's true. Yeah, but, you know, the Heat are also, you know, they have their own plan in place. And, you know, maybe if Mark Hill can continue to progress and, and, and they let's say they get Kate Cunningham and he's, you know, Luca 2.0 and he's this great, bigger, ball-dominant guy who creates for everybody. Sure, why wouldn't? someone want to go there or even like David West signing with Indiana back in like the late 2010s, right? Mm -hmm. Like someone like that, a second tier free agent, maybe coming in to join that young group, even like Channing Frye did back in 1560, someone, but someone maybe bigger and better than Channing Frye, a borderline all-star type guy. If, if the money's right and the timing's right, I think anything can happen, but I think that's why tanking is so prevalent, right? I just said, if they get these stars, so most teams like Orlando, like they're not the Lakers. They don't have the margin for error where they can be the worst team in this tanking era that I cover in my book. They were the worst team in the league from 2012 to 2017, literally the worst record. LeBron still comes in 2018 and Anthony Davis wants to get traded there. So the Lakers trade all the picks they had and they get AD and they win the title. The Magic don't unfortunately have that margin for error. They need to draft these guys 
to then become a free agent destination. So I think that's a theme throughout the league, but you're right at a certain point, once they do get there, I think the weather and the income tax will play a factor for sure. Well, Lando's definitely, I think we could definitely be a, a player at the table. Um, when those players come around, there was a couple of years ago. I think it was under Hennigan. There was there was rumours that Paul Millsap was close to signing for us as yeah, a free agent after he left Atlanta when when he was a was an all star. So perfect type guy that I was yeah. referring to. That second tier type who can be who could be an all star in his best career. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Cool. Um, Jake, thank you for coming on. Um, for those who don't know where to buy your book or, or where to or follow your work, can you uh, let everybody know? For sure. Thank you guys for having us. It was a lot of fun. Um, like I said before we got on air, yeah, the UK has got a special place in my heart too, just like the Amway Center. I spent some time there in college and I'm dying to get back. Uh, it was like one of the things I was saying to my friends pre-COVID, like, oh, maybe this is the year I get back to the UK. Um, but you know, so it's been it's been it's been great to be here. Um, the book is called a full title: "Built to Lose: How the NBA's Tanking Our Change League Forever." You can buy it anywhere books are sold: Amazon, Bookshop.org. Bar- I, I saw it in Barnes and Noble today. Um, my publisher, Triumph Books. Um, if you want to support a local book sh- bookseller, it's Bookshop.org. And if you want, I, I have a partnership with this watch company called La Terrain, T-O-U-R-A-I-N-E. And, and any, any, any watch you buy, you get a free copy of the book there. So there's a lot of different options. And um, <laughs> anyone who wants to find new information about the league and the Magic and other teams, you're going to love the book. There's yeah. from the 300 people I talk to, I really do believe every single page is loaded with new info that you're not going to find anywhere else. What was that feeling? It is available like? as an audio book as well, isn't it? Yeah. It is. It is. Yeah. What's that feeling like seeing it in the bookstores? It's pretty cool. I'm not going to yeah. lie. So the book came out on May 4th, and my girlfriend and I went to the store to see it on the shelf, and it wasn't there. Oh, no. Today was a nice, aha, it is here. <laughs> <laughs> You can tell us, did you do a little happy dance in front of it as you saw it there? Not a happy dance, but I did have a moment of like, holy shit, like, front <laughs> <laughs> of Barnes & Noble, new nonfiction, like that's, and there's multiple copies, there wasn't just one. <laughs> that's, very, that's good, that's good, I like that. Great stuff. Awesome. Well, you've been an awesome guest, thank you for coming on, Jake. Yeah. Um, thank you. When you do come over to the UK... Hit us yeah. up. We're, we'll we'll sure. we'll convene and we'll grab some beers and stuff like that together. Yeah, we'll take you for a beer happily. I mean, yeah. you, got, you guys can drink, so I'll, I'll start. I'll start preparing right now. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> these these two are the drinkers. I'm the light. Outrageous. I used to go to. I would go to any little pub, and there'd be the guys that were there, obviously for an hour before I got there, and I'd stay there for two hours, and they're still there. Like it's <laughs> it's all over. Like two old women <laughs> sat in the corner. Yeah, it, it could it drink it could be considered a national sport having a beer in this country. Definitely, I think so. Which, yeah. you know, what's not to love about that? Absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> it's been so cool. It's been so interesting talking to you, Jake. It really has. Thank you, guys. I appreciate the time. Thank Cheers, you. Jake. Cheers, Jake. Thanks a lot. So, mate, I, that was really great. I thought Jake was fantastic. What a great guest. Yeah. Um, one thing we didn't touch on, and it would have been interesting to perhaps hear his thoughts. Opinions on uh, 
Aaron Gordon's playoff series. Thanks, Denver. Wanting to play, yeah, wanting to play, wanting to play meaningful basketball so as he could give it his all. Oh well, How he really gave out? it his all, didn't he? Um, yeah, well, games averaging well, nine points. Well, we fleeced Denver, aren't we? We fleeced. Um, We've done well on that one. We we talk we well always talk one. about how we got Markel Holtz basically next to nothing. <laughs> it feels the same way about this trade, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, it was it was interesting to hear. Um I mean obviously we all know what Kendrick Perkins had come out with about how Aaron Gordon is now an elite defender thanks to uh being in Denver. You He's know, a joke. Uh, He's a joke. Yeah, yeah, absolute absolute comedy tweet, that one. I'm wondering if some of his tweets are actually just for attention, deliberately yeah. to be controversial. Click, clickbait. I, yeah. I, yeah. I don't remember who it was. I'll have to find it. But did you see Kendrick Perkins reply to one of our, not one of our Magic fans, I think he's from the States. And uh, he basically sarcastically was blowing smoke up his ass. <laughs> <laughs> and it was like any time, mate. And uh, he and Perkins didn't realise he was actually taking just, just tugging him. Yeah, basically. Uh, I'll have to find uh, it, but but uh, yeah. The the interesting th- the other thing that I found interesting was during the commentary. This and I can't remember who was doing the the. I think it was Richard Jefferson who was talking. Yeah, and saying about. Um, Aaron Gordon has to play to his strengths. He can't keep being this player who wants to be the star, throwing up threes and his his, his, uh, mid-range shot is just ineffective and he he is an athletic, strong player and doesn't play to his strengths. He doesn't drive at the basket. He doesn't get himself uh, free throws. Mind you, he can't hit a damn free throw when he tries, can he? Well, he is who we thought he is. <laughs> yeah. And, and yeah. he got an opportunity to play with better players in an established system, albeit they're missing their, their main point guard. But we saw it all the time. You, you get a couple of good games from him and then about two weeks of absolute dross. Um, whereas I think G's off the bandwagon now because you were all, you loved AG. And every me and Paul, weren't we? We were always like, no, nah, you, you, like, do you know it's what I mean? Every, it was every season, wasn't it, that you just wanted him to develop. I wanted him to succeed. I wanted him to do well at the at, the, yeah. at, at our team. And if he'd been, I think I put it out in, in the group the other day, I would have wanted him to do well in Denver if he hadn't left with, you know, such Bad pity terms. comments. Yeah, yeah, yeah I, did, I didn't, I don't think there was any need for him to come out and give the interview initially that he did. You know yeah. where he where he said I'd literally go anywhere. Um, I don't think that was necessary. Uh, well, I know he I know he rectified it subsequently in interviews, but I didn't like that. And uh, you know what? He's Yay. not our problem. Well, He's not our no, problem exactly. anymore. Well, well done and enjoy Cancun, you. <laughs> <laughs> cool. So just to wrap up, then, so we got a, we got seven days until the big date of the uh, draft lottery when we find out where we're picking with our own pick and potentially the balls. Um, So as it stands, Orlando have a 14% chance of the number one overall pick, um, a 52.1% chance of landing in the top four, and we can't finish any lower than seventh. And I think the best or the highest odds are sixth. But hopefully 
it's hopefully we've got some luck on our side this year. Um, Chicago's pick, they've got a four and a half percent chance of finishing number one, uh, 20.3% of finishing their top four. Um, if they finish outside the top four, it's going to finish between eight and 11. Um, if it does finish in the top four, it will convey to next season where it's protected one to three. Um, and we also have our second round pick this year as well. It'd be interesting to see what they do with that because I think it might be something that they trade away if we're already bringing in two young players, but we will see. Do you agree? Yeah, we can get, you can get over youth. You can get over yeah. amounts of youth in. Um, yeah. I, c- I can see it being something that we perhaps use elsewhere. Yeah. 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 So we are going to be doing a virtual watch party next Tuesday. Um, I, I don't think we've quite finalised the time. It's probably going to be about half 12, 1 a.m. for us over here. I'm going to have to go to bed and get up early so, I can, <laughs> so I'm not yawning for, for two hours. Um, so grab your beers, grab your ciders. Um, we'll, we'll, we'll do some stuff before the lottery. Go on, Paul. Just not your Horlicks. Don't grab your horse. Oh, no, don't want that nonsense. <laughs> <laughs> well, mate, there's every chance if I think it's either you or I going to be hosting in, in various parts, but there's every chance that we're going to have to spot one another because I'm sure there's going to be a point where one of us is like that, head That's down. Right. I've got cider. I've already stopped up with cider ready for next week, so it's all good. Um, that doesn't keep you awake. I saw you here. <laughs> <laughs> this is true. <laughs> What time? What time is it? Eleven o'clock, and I was out. Yeah. I was out on my legs. You, yeah, you are. You are literally one of the cheapest dates I've ever known. Yeah. <laughs> Basically, <laughs> I don't know what to say to that. <laughs> it's better than being a salmon, though, G. Isn't it? So, <laughs> yeah, like, so um, like, like somebody we've talked about before. Um, yeah. So hopefully, we're going to have Dante jump on at some point amongst the watch party um for for those who are interested you can email me mikey at orlandomagicuk.com um send me your email for your zoom uh, links for me to send over to you um we'll send you um a couple of rules i think we're on about mute asking people to mute just so the conversation flows a little bit more and there's not too much interference we plan on recording so there might be some explicit content next week. Yeah. We'll see. We'll see how badly or, or how well it goes. <laughs> and we all know who we're talking about. We all know who we're talking about. <laughs> um, and uh, yeah, so we'll we'll send some more details out on that. So look out for social media. But if you want to email in the meantime, fire away. Um, and yeah, um, quick thoughts, guys, on the playoffs. Last week we changed our predictions. I, I think it's been really interesting. I've, I'm actually enjoying seeing teams outside of the perennial Lakers or whoever else who so often make it the big franchise. It's good to see some of the other teams. And I think there's been some really interesting games. Um, you know, it's, it's it's been good. I'm, enjoy, I'm enjoying watching it. I am enjoying watching it. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I also, more, yeah. Go on, go on, G. Go on, are you finished? Are you finished? Now you but the me. thing the thing I've enjoyed seeing most is did you see the video of Cole Anthony already back in the gym with yeah. the shooting coach? Yeah. I've enjoyed seeing that most. The old hype yeah. videos. Yeah, you mate. Definitely. Yeah. Definitely, yeah. yeah I know. Just, just go on. Shut up, Paul. No, it's, it's my turn now. It's my turn. <laughs> <laughs> 
Yeah, just um, adding on to what Paul said about the playoffs. Yeah, it's nice to see smaller market teams uh, do well. And um, yeah, like like again, what Paul said is, I don't like seeing the usual, you know, Lakers, Celtics, etc. in there. And uh, it'd be nice to have a, a new champion and let, fingers crossed that it's the Phoenix Suns. Yeah. Yeah, I'd, I'd like to see Phoenix win it. Absolutely. I think that some of the, the yeah. play that they've, they've the performances they've put in, they deserve to be there. They deserve to be there. Chris I'm, Paul, I'm yeah. not buying this. Yeah, I'm not buying this that they've had the easy route to the finals. They've played an, you know, they've played an injured LeBron and they had an injured Anthony Davis, and that Jamal Murray's been out and Jokic got tossed for no reason. I'm not buying that. Yeah, not but they played they played the defensive stopper AG, so um, they haven't had an easy <laughs> route, have they? <laughs> <laughs> oh mate I think you've got to finish the night there because yeah. that's, that's the line all I'll finish with is Chris Paul <laughs> deserves to win a ring at some point and yeah he does yeah, hopefully it's this season yeah. cool Agreed. Um, so for the latest uh, Orlando Magic UK news um, you can follow us on Facebook Twitter and Instagram uh, subscribe to the podcast on Apple Google Spotify and YouTube uh, by searching Penny for Your Thoughts. You can visit our website, orlandomagicuk.com, with all our affiliate links um, and the podcast and all that sort of stuff going on there. Um, and until next week for the watch party, go, go Magic. Number one, <laughs> magic. going out one. Go Magic. <laughs>